0: We are continuing in our study of the book of Ruth, a great, great book of the Old Testament. Last year we studied the book of Esther, and this year we're studying Ruth just for our kind of our end of summer study, and then uh, we've got some more stuff we're going to do this fall. So as we continue in his word right now, would you bow with me and let's pray and ask his blessing. God, I don't know about these folks, but I, I can't seem to get enough uh, from your word. Uh, every time I read it, things seem to jump off the page. And that makes sense because uh, self-declared, your word contends to be God's word uh, to us. Your truth, your, your love, your grace, what you want us to know about how to rightly follow you this side of heaven. And so God, I pray that as we open your book now to chapter three of Ruth, that God, once again, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray we might understand rightly the narrative and the flow here. And then Lord, most importantly, may we all be men and women of integrity And leave here today with a renewed commitment to live, to act upon what you so graciously reveal to us. So empower our wills, enlighten our minds, and soften our hearts, we pray in preparation for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if there's something that I find almost every sane human being likes to see in another human being, it's this thing called integrity. Can we all agree on that? Integrity. I don't care where you are in the spiritual relational spectrum, almost all of us love to see integrity in other people. There's a really funny urban legend that's been around for years about a cigar smoker who bought several hundred expensive cigars and then had them insured against fire. And after he'd smoked them all, he filed the claim, and then he pointed out that his cigars had been destroyed by fire after he smoked them and as you can imagine the company refused to pay and so the man sued and the judge ruled that because the insurance company had agreed to insure them against fire that they were legally responsible and so the company paid the claim and when the man accepted the money the company had him arrested for arson Now. The reason that most of us love a story like that, the reason that you're going to repeat that story this week to somebody in your sphere of influence is because we all like to see justice done, right? We all like to see integrity get its due. We like to see a sense of fair play in our society. We don't like it when people cheat or swindle others, even insurance companies. We all like to see integrity in our fellow human beings around us. I was thinking about it this week. I thought, you know, all of us like to be treated fairly in business transactions, right? Right? All of us like the teachers in college that gave fair and impartial tests. All of us like politicians who don't lie. We like neighbors who are honest. We like fellow church members who speak truth but do it graciously. Integrity is simply this. It's knowing what is right and doing it regardless of the consequences. And I find that each and every one of us loves to see integrity. And it's because of this that integrity, when you think about it, actually transcends time and it transcends culture. In our understanding of the history of the world, every culture has admired and even coveted this thing called integrity. And though there is so much more else to it, the Old Testament story of Ruth, the story that we're looking at this month here at Scottsdale Bible, is very much about integrity. It's very much about knowing and doing what is right and then choosing to do that. If you remember back to Ruth 1, the Ruth chapter 1, the right thing, thing was for Ruth to choose to follow the one true God leaving her homeland and becoming a part of God's covenant community. And despite the consequences, and I mean things like leaving family and culture, tradition and homeland, she did it. And then last week, as we looked at Ruth 2, we saw that the right thing for Boaz to do was to recognize all the blessings that God had blessed him with, this great grace that had been given to him, and then choose to become a blessing to pass grace on to others, as we saw especially to Ruth. And he did it. Think about it, choosing to follow God despite the consequences and choosing to be a vehicle of God's grace, two choices of integrity, two incredible calls to do the right thing. And today as we turn the page into chapter 3 of Ruth, in keeping with our theme, we begin to get to the heart of the matter as integrity is going to be modeled for us and defined in the words and actions of these two central characters, Ruth and Boaz. And so to see what I'm talking about, I want you to open up in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth is the eighth book from the beginning of the Bible, so it's toward the beginning there. Go to Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to stay here for the rest of our time this morning. And as you're turning there to get our bearings straight, just remember that Naomi and Ruth are now back in Bethlehem after being gone for 10 years in a faraway country where their husbands had died, and now they're back and they have no money, no livelihood, very little hope, but as we saw at the end of chapter 2, this rich and godly landowner named Boaz has taken an interest in them, and things just might be looking up now. So let's read what happens next in chapter 3. The first half of this chapter, by the way, basically concerns Ruth and Naomi. The second half is going to concern Ruth and Boaz. So notice with me how it all begins in the first seven verses of chapter 3. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose, is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And if you're tracking with this at all, you're saying, whoa. I got to tell you, folks, this is the closest thing you're going to get to a 3,000-year-old story in which one woman makes herself very known and that she's interested in another man. And yet you're asking right now, well, Jamie, you just gave an introduction on integrity, so how does any of this have to do with integrity? Two things I want you to notice with me about this first half of the story, two things that will clearly show you how what Ruth did here was full of God-honoring integrity. And and so first, just so that we all understand what's going on here, notice with me that what Ruth did was risky. That's the first thing we need to see in order to understand the storyline here. What Ruth did here was very risky. risky. So this scene begins with Naomi having devised a plan for Ruth's future security. You do realize that, right? I mean, the whole reason that Naomi came up with this plan that she did, we're going to unpack it here right now, was all about Ruth's future security. You see, in that culture back then, security for almost all young women was attained by being married to a solid and responsible husband. And we know that Naomi was concerned about this for Ruth because as far back as chapter 1, verse 9, while still in Moab, Naomi was encouraging her daughter-in-laws, remember this, to stay there in their original families and find another husband now that their husbands were dead. But as we know, Ruth chose to go to Israel with Naomi. And so now, once back in their homeland, Naomi already being attuned to Boaz's character, knowing that he was one of their close relatives, as well as to the fact that Boaz had taken a strong liking to Ruth, Naomi devises a plan here to kind of help things along a little bit. That's what Naomi's doing here. She's trying to take this initial attraction between Boaz and Ruth, and she's trying to kind of foster it to get closer and closer. I find that mother-in-laws can be kind of wily. Do you all agree with that? That's basically what's happening here. And Naomi's being kind of wily in her plans here. And the heart of Naomi's plan was for Ruth to get Boaz's attention in such a way that he would not fail to notice her and would not fail to get the message that that she was interested in him. You see, Boaz was much older than Ruth. Both Naomi and Boaz call Ruth daughter, which means that Naomi and Boaz were probably of the same generation. And so it would not be immediately clear to Boaz that Ruth would be interested in him. And so Naomi has a plan. Now that the barley harvest has just ended, she knew that Boaz would be spending a lot of overtime down at what they called the threshing floor. But look up here on the screen. I'm going to give you a picture here. These are actual threshing floors in and around Bethlehem right now in modern-day Israel. They're very, very similar to the threshing floors that they had back then because it's still an agricultural environment in many ways. And a threshing floor was simply a place where grain was threshed, where it was beaten and trampled on in order to get the chaff, the bad parts, away and out of the wheat or barley, the good parts. And these places were out in the open air on hard clay stone surfaces just outside the city gates where the west wind, as the chaff would get beaten out, the west wind would come along and blow it away and not blow it obviously into the city. They called this winnowing. And threshing was a citywide event in Hebrew culture back then at the end of the harvest with dozens of piles of barley which had just been picked would be piled up there and now they needed to be threshed. And so people would thresh from most of the afternoon when the wind was the strongest. Then they'd have a big meal with lots of celebration. And a few men, those who owned the crops and wanted to protect them, would actually spend the night on the threshing floor there to protect their crops. So if you see on your right there, you see a, a pile of grain there, they would spend the night kind of right behind or near a pile of grain to be protected from the elements, but to protect their crops. And this is the place that Naomi is talking about when she tells Ruth her plan, the threshing floor. And notice that she tells Ruth the following. Now, don't miss this. Look at verses uh, 3 and 4 there. First, she directs Ruth to wash herself, perfume herself, put on her best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. Four action verbs there you don't want to miss. Wash, anoint, put on, go down. And make no mistake about it, folks, she was telling Ruth to get all gussied up to make herself attractive and desirable to Boaz. That word anoint there surely means with perfume. In fact, some uh, translations of the Old Testament actually include, because it was in some of the original Hebrew translations, that she was anoint herself with myrrh. And we know from our understanding of the old testament that myrrh was actually the kind of of scented spice that was used in intimate romantic settings in the old testament and in keeping with an air of mystery and secrecy and even being somewhat provocative she tells ruth to not make herself known to boaz until after he had eaten and even had a bit of wine i mean she's setting the mood here And then using four more direct words and phrases which reveal the very risky, intimate overtones associated with her plan, Naomi instructs Ruth there in verse 4 to observe where Boaz goes to lie, go to him, uncover his feet, we'll get to that in just a minute, and lie down with him. Four more action verbs that Ruth is to do. Observe, go, uncover, and lie down. I put it in green highlights there for you. And Naomi says at this point to just do whatever Boaz tells you to because he'll take over. And you got to believe that Ruth was thinking at this point, yikes, I'll bet he'll take over because she knew exactly what Naomi was doing here. You see, folks, that little directive of Naomi's to uncover Boaz's feet is filled with a good, proper, yet very risky meaning in that culture back then. There's actually two different exegetical options that commentators take when we try to understand what does it mean in that culture that she was to uncover his feet. The first option, and I'll explain this more in a minute, is that this uncovering was only about a symbolic meaning of being one's kinsman redeemer. I'll get to that phrase kinsman redeemer in a minute, but just suffice it to say for right now that Boaz had an obligation if he was one of the relatives to redeem Ruth and Naomi and to marry Ruth, and that part of what Ruth was doing here was uncovering his feet in some sort of symbolic way. There might be some slight evidence in the Old Testament that this was the case of basically saying, I want to marry you, I want, to be your, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. Th- that could be one of the options of why she did that here. But another and even further exegetical option here is that this uncovering is also about a move of intimacy. Intimacy giving a sense of a provocative nature here, an intimate move of one person to another. And so listen to how one Old Testament scholar puts it. He says the question is whether the storyteller meant to be ambiguous and hence provocative. It seems to me that he did. Therefore, the intentional ambiguity of the translation legs here, which leaves open the question, how much of his legs? He says it is simply incomprehensible to me that a Hebrew storyteller could use the words uncover wing in chapter 3 verse 9 and a noun for legs all in the same context and not suggest to an audience, his audience that a provocative set of circumstances confronts them. And folks, I believe that the commentator is right here. That in addition to the issue of a kinsman redeemer, which we'll get to in just a minute, there's also an intimate movement here that Naomi has painted a scene that was very, very risky for Ruth, but one, as we'll see in a minute, that was needed for for Boaz to understand Ruth's interest in him. Please see what Ruth was doing was clearly risky. She knew that her move toward Boaz was provocative, and she had no way of knowing in what way he was going to respond. She knew that she needed to do this because of her culture, and she needed to hint to him that she'd be interested in marriage, but she had no idea what he was going to do with this and where this was going to go. Now, hang on to this and note a second key thing that we must understand then about Ruth's side of this story, and that is that not only what Ruth did was risky, but what she did was also right. What she did was right. And some, if not many, of you are thinking right now, well, how exactly is that, Jamie? I mean, she's obviously coming on to Boaz here, which might not be like totally sinful, but it is aggressive. And so how in the world can we suggest that this is right? In order to understand this, folks, we need to first understand some very significant things about Hebrew culture at the time of Ruth and Boaz. You might recall this or, or not, but in chapter one, it tells us very early on in the story that this story is taking place during the time of the judges. Do you remember that? The time of the judges. And we know that in the time of the judges, this was a time of moral chaos in which it tells us that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And further, we also know that this was a very male-dominated society. And so not only was it male-dominated, but people were really messing that up. And so there was a lot of polygamy and there was a lot of abuse going on in this male-dominated, morally chaotic culture at that time. And so in this culture, think about it, women found much security and protection when they got established in a very good and proper marital union. In other words, it was vitally important to be married back then, especially if you were a younger woman. And so the primary concern for most dads in that culture was for their daughters to get provided for and protected for in a good and proper marriage. And when you look closely at what's happening in Ruth 3 here, there are actually two key Hebraic laws that were working in Ruth and Naomi's benefit. For those of you who really love the Bible and are taking notes, you're going to write this down. There was the marital redemption law found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, and then the land redemption law found in Leviticus chapter 25. And you're thinking, what are those? Well, the the marital redemption law simply went like this, that if you were a guy and you were married and you didn't have any sons yet, and the guy died leaving a widow with no sons, then the guy's brother or closest relative had an